Hello, and welcome to HR Unplugged, episode 34. This episode is packed with great insights and ideas for HR leaders at nearly every level. Today's discussion includes Anita Grantham, Bamboo HR's head of HR, Vanessa Brulat, one of our HR business partners at Bamboo HR, and a special guest, Scott Sinatra, the co-founder and CEO of Bountiful. Our panel discussion focuses on how to find your next top performers, how HR leaders can use network hiring. In this episode, you'll hear about recent changes in common recruiting practices, network hiring, and how to make it work for you, and how to stay on track with equal opportunity hiring and diversity goals at your company. Thank you for tuning in. Today's episode is brought to you by Bamboo HR. Bamboo HR Performance here to talk about performance enhancements. And no, I'm not talking about roids or stems or growth hormones. No, Bamboo HR is software that enhances the performance of your team. Does running payroll take way too long? Does your onboarding bore people to tears? Well, Bamboo HR is an easy-to-use, one-stop shop for time tracking, performance management, payroll, hiring, onboarding, so your team can perform in an enhanced manner. Performance enhancement! Try a free demo today at BambooHR.com. I'd like to welcome Scott Sinatra, co-founder and CEO of Bountiful. Welcome, Scott. We are so excited you're here today and cannot wait to hear your insights on this topic. Tell us a little bit about yourself so the audience can get to know you. Oh, first of all, thanks for that very kind introduction uh, back at you as far as awesome human beings, by the way. Um, Super excited to be here and uh, hopefully sharing a few insights. A little bit about me. I'm a girl dad. I have three daughters. Um, all in their 20s, all out of, their ha- all out of the house. Uh, that is liberating, to say the least. Um, a husband of 31 years, uh, serially addicted to solving problems and offering solutions for HR and talent teams. I was previously involved in helping start Glassdoor, as well as Glint, which was an employee engagement survey and analytics uh, solution acquired by LinkedIn. And now I'm on my third HR technology startup. Well, that's uh, thank you so much for being here. It's just really awesome. I'm excited to hear your insights. And I'd love to just dive into our discussion for today. Our first section is all about the challenges we're seeing in recent years with recruiting. And Scott, I'd love your input first. What challenges do you think we're seeing with today's recruiting practices? I know you have some really interesting insight on sourcing specifically. Thank you. Yeah. It's really interesting. What I'm seeing right now, a lot right now, is we as businesses are getting more inbound applications than maybe ever before. It's fascinating because we're in such a tight labor market. Um, So talent teams, as stretched as they are, um, are having to filter through loads of applications, trying to figure out what's good in that batch of applications. uh, And that's becoming more and more of a challenge. Um, So I firmly believe it's imperative to find sources of talent from pre-vetted or trusted sources. Obviously, you know, referrals could be one of those uh, sources for for companies. I'm on a mission. In fact, you know, I I talk about offering solutions for HR teams and talent teams, but I'm on an absolute mission to enable talent teams to unlock that this network potential of these trusted sources and um, I just, I, I firmly believe that great talent sits in the networks of all of us. We just have to unlock it. And activating networks, both inside and outside of our organizations, can truly be leveraged and such a huge opportunity sitting right under our noses. Well, Anita, what are your thoughts? Any other problems we're seeing in recruiting today? 
You know, I think Scott's right on with these challenges. We're getting more applications. And the other thing that I'm finding that we talked about on our prep call is that the applicants aren't really qualified for the job. And so this goes back to a pillar that you constantly hear me harp on, and that's poorly written job descriptions. And so whenever I see that imbalance with application flow um, relative to candidate qualification, I still go back and say, are we being accurate in writing job descriptions? And I don't necessarily think as a hiring manager, this is something you should be offloading to your recruiter. I think this is a partnership effort between the recruiter and the hiring manager to really make sure that we're going through a time-intensive process of really vetting what the role looks like, what success and outcomes look like in the role so that we can go and source properly and attract the right candidates. It just seems like people are hiring for their pain today. They're not thinking about the role in six to 12 to 24 months. And so I think that's a hurdle that we've got to continue to clear. Mm -hmm. Scott, do you agree? What problems have you seen with job descriptions? I completely agree. I, I think, you know, what we see oftentimes is dusting off of old job descriptions just to get it out there into the world. I, I firmly believe job descriptions in and of themselves are ripe for disruption and a rethink. They need to be more skill-based. We can certainly summarize them way better. Now, there are tools available to us today that we didn't have before, such as generative AI, that can help us do these kinds of things. But it all starts with, a, I believe, a skill-based job description um, that really helps you hone in on what qualified looks like for a given position. Well, I completely agree with you both on the statements that you've you've said and it really just reiterating something that you both have kind of said here is like you have to get that alignment and agreement on what the job descriptions are from the beginning between the recruiters and the hire managers, everybody involved, because a lot of time does get wasted if there isn't that initial alignment. I just I want to share a quick story from earlier in my career with recruiting of, you know, we we weren't aligned and uh, the business needs, when we looked at the business need, uh, we all thought, oh, let's look for somebody a lot more senior. So we went and looked for senior, wasted three months of looking only to find out, oh, we just needed somebody who's an Excel expert. And then we utilized our, our networks. And within a few weeks, we had the right person. But if we had had that conversation in the beginning, it would have saved us a lot of time to have the alignment, have the right job description um, and have that looked at. So, Scott, how is the candidate experience suffering with all of these changes? I know some candidates are experiencing ghosting. Yeah, it's not getting better. I think it's getting worse. I'm hearing horror stories, you know, of, of people submitting applications. I, I, I talked to one person recently and they said that they had submitted 40 applications and didn't hear from one single company, right? Just got zero response. 40 applications. Yeah, it, it, it's, yeah, yeah, that's a different thing maybe, but that's just not good, obviously. Um, but I can understand how it happens too. I mean, talent teams are stretched, they're taxed. You know, you're filtering through so many different applications and trying to find the diamonds in the rough, you know, amongst the stack. I can see how it can happen, but I, I do believe that the candidate experience is definitely not getting better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I always, when I hear ghosting, I just think to myself, oh, ghosting. <laughs> because in the recruiting world, it is constantly compared to dating all of the time. So my folks out there who understand what I'm talking about, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a big analogy. So, But it's horrible when you're pursuing something and you never hear back. 
it, it, that's really tough. I can't even imagine having that many applications sent out because you're pursuing something, time, resources, and to be ghosted is just, it, that would be difficult. So Anita, what do you think? Yeah, I'm just looking in the chat here. Here's an example. Lindsay shares, when she was looking, she put in over 300 applications over 18 months and only heard back from 10 to 15%. So I have to go with what Scott's saying. I think the process is broken probably on the recruiting side. One thing we haven't talked about is that recruiting teams are smaller than ever, right? There's been a lot of changes. There's a lot of recruiters doing a lot more than just recruiting. And so they're missing in this. And what we've seen in the data is that 83% of team members say they've had a bad experience during the hiring or onboarding process, including being ghosted, facing discrimination, and dealing with rude hiring managers, which is just such a mind blow for me. I can't believe of some of these stories and, you know, just inaccurate promises made uh, by the hiring manager or recruiter. You know, that's why we've seen we've published a lot of reports and data that show that what people sign up for when they get hired and what they experience when they get in are often two different things. So I just, you know, call out to all the recruiters out there, um, you know, make sure you're you're doing right by the people that spend time applying. It's a big part to the employer brand and can really hinder future pipeline talent customers, a lot of things hinder from a, a poor employee experience. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I've heard stories of the, the fake scam profiles um, that will recruit you for a job at a company and they don't actually work there. And uh, I've had people tell me that they've showed up to a business and saying, oh, I'm here to start my first day. And they're like, we've never talked to you before. We don't even have an open position. And so that's a real complexity that candidates have to deal with now beyond just ghosting. It's like there's scam profiles out there too. And so, but Anita, you bring up a good point. Uh, I know we wanted to touch on, uh, based on our prep call, discrimination. Um, how is discrimination impacted in today's hiring world? Scott, you want to take that one? Yeah, I can take that. Sure. So if if we're equating discrimination with inviting and offering a diverse talent pool to apply you know, to our companies, one way to do that and to remedy that situation is to actually leverage external networks for recruiting. So for example, when you extend the use case of your referral program to not only employees, but people outside of your company, the sheer physics of network effects actually helps deliver a set of diverse candidates in our own example at Bountiful, uh, we, we had a we hired a CTO uh, for a company in just 21 days, and they had four diverse finalists for the position, which I thought this was quite quite remarkable. And it, it it illuminated for me that network effects when you get outside of the four walls of your company truly come into play. Those candidates can be vetted rather quickly, and you'll start to see a diverse talent flow when you enable that to happen. I love that, Scott. Thank you for sharing. You're, in, you're, you're right. Your network is such a powerful resource and, and utilizing that. Anita, what do you think? Well, that's why I was excited to talk with Scott and why I'm such a big fan of network effect hiring, because I think it helps pipelines get more diversified. I think without a thoughtful strategy on diversification of pipelines, they're not getting better. Even though everybody's made more of a commitment to DEI, it doesn't seem like we're getting more qualified, diverse candidates. You know, a study from the National Bureau of Economic Research suggests that systemic racial discrimination during the job application process is still happening. There 
there's lots of room for improvement here. Researchers sent more than 80,000 fake job applications for entry-level openings to Fortune 500 firms and found that on average, with distinctively Black names, we're about 10% less likely to get a callback than with comparable applications with distinctively white names. So I think you've got to start using tools where you're putting your job descriptions, you know, through different tone readers so you can, you know, kind of ferret out that bias and that poor, poorly written things that people aren't doing on purpose. Like, I don't think anybody's trying to be actively discriminatory here. I think it's just happening because it's nature in the system and there's enough tools out there to help you get out of that. So you can build a diversified, qualified slate for any role that you're hiring for. Well, thank you. Thank you, Anita. Before we move on, I just want to recap some of the challenges you both have touched on in this section. Uh, first is job descriptions are poor. Recruiting teams have been downsized so much that they're really taxed. The teams are getting so many applications. They don't know what talent they're really looking for. Discrimination is still a problem. And the candidate experience suffers because of all of this. Well, moving on to our next section about network hiring, uh, let's start with a quick definition. Scott? Yeah, so as the name implies, I believe great talent sits in the networks of all of us as human beings that work for companies. And we have our first degree or close connections, but then we have connections upon connections. And if you can figure out a way to activate the connections upon connections, you can really start to see an amazing diverse set of, of talent flow into your organization. And so it's literally, uh, as the name implies, leveraging the networks of your employees first, and then the employee or, and then people outside of your company, right, to tap into all sorts of network opportunities for recruiting. And that actually goes beyond individuals. There are organizations out there that are doing incredible work with upskilling and developing talent in this world. And those organizations would more than be more than happy to be able to place their stake, their, their stakeholders, the people they're helping into your jobs and into your companies. Companies like Bountiful could actually be a conduit to make that happen. But that's an example of leveraging networks, you know, for your recruiting purposes. Well, let's talk through, through a few ideas our audience could take and use today. Any advice or best practices you can share, Scott, about network hiring? Sure. Yeah, I have a few things. So um, first of all, if you have a referral program or you offer a referral bonus, I think you have to do I, have to, I think you have to do a few things here. One, and you, don't, you don't need technology to do this. One, understand your participation rate. Who is actually participating in your program? I hear a lot of companies that have referral programs have fairly low participation rates, which could be an incredible opportunity. Um, but it's important to understand why that's happening. So how do you understand that? One, I think you can run an audit, right? It can be an informal audit just to understand why people are not participating. So what kind of blockers or friction exists in the process of enabling people to be recruiters for you, you know? So there are a lot of friction points that I come across in my day-to-day -day work right now. And you might think that some of these things are not friction points that actually are. They, they stand in the way of have an employee participating or activating um, or, or taking an action in their networks. So look at the workflow so you know how to get people to engage. I think that's really important. So how do you do that? Well, 
you know, you might have uh, a quick access to a referral link, uh, for example. Um, that's that in and of itself is not enough. Many ATS systems, right, might have a referral link capability, but you know, do employees really know how to get to it? Do they even know what to do with it? Do they know what to say? Are they on brand when they say anything? So I think you need shareable assets. So compile, right? Compile all of the great things that your company is doing and put it into, into a format that's easily shareable uh, for people to stay on brand and talk about your culture. And then help them become really proactive in communicating what's happening uh, with your company. Speaking of communicating, I think it's really important. One of the friction points for these programs tends to be communication in general. So employees maybe have heard it once that the program exists. Maybe it was through their on the onboarding process. But I think that you have to be constantly communicating through different um, communication vehicles and mechanisms to ensure that people are aware you know, that you have a program to make sure that they understand how to use it, right? and to train them and walk them through it. And I think that that kind of communication process can pay huge benefits uh, for your adoption of these kinds of, of programs. So another idea that we're actually implementing um, in Bountiful is that many employees actually think of the referral bonus as monopoly money. And what I mean by that, oftentimes I, I talk to companies who, you know, they, they might pay um, upon hire plus some sort of probationary period. It could be uh, 60 days. In some cases, I've seen six months. So when you add it all together, the referral bonus payment could take six months to a year. Now you think about our employee population today in this kind of what I call this instant gratification society that we're in and monopoly money versus what employees are expecting just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. So one idea is to actually break apart or break, you know, break down your incentive for these programs, maybe in the following way. You could take half of the bonus and pay it to the last to the person that actually lands the hire. But then also provide what I call micro incentives. And these can be smaller bite-sized chunks of that overall bonus for the kinds of behaviors you're looking for in your recruiting process. So let's say Sally introduces Joe to the company and Joe gets an interview. Well, if Joe's getting an interview with your company, that's probably a proxy that Joe is good, high quality and at least worth right investing in an interview process. That's good work by Sally and Sally should get a reward for that and she'll appreciate it. And her engagement in your program then will continue to blossom. This is an opportunity just to even rethink the bonus structure that you're paying in your program. Does that make sense? I love that breakdown, Scott. And it's, it's, uh, it's very clever. I, <laughs> I saw somebody in the chat say that uh, after deductions, a $2,500 referral is actually 1500. And so even just having like not having the monopoly perspective or not perspective, but that route is, you know, have more of that instant uh, reward. So Anita, what do you think is the most important part of managing a referral program? I would also add that one thing we often miss is taking care of the employees that refer good people to you. So we don't look at them as a channel. 
We don't look at them as a customer. And if you're not following up with the people that they refer and sharing with them where they are in the process, thank them for referring, being in constant communication so they can actually help engage that candidate in the process, they're not going to spend time referring to you. So it's just like marketing. That's why I love Scott because he's a great people leader. He's also a great marketer and putting those two together help you think about how you have a holistic process and everything that you do through your candidate experience. And you want people to leave being promoters of what they've just referred somebody into. And if you don't have that, it can cause big problems. Well, thank you. Uh, that was a fun section, some good content. And we had some people saying uh, shout outs for the content there. So in our last section, I wanna talk through how our audience can find their next great hire. What advice do you have here, Scott? Well, if you don't have a referral program, have one. Uh, that would be my, my first bit of advice because your employees can be a fantastic source for talent. And, you know, in large part, your employees want to participate. In many cases, they just don't know how. And so you have to really be on an education, um, kind of a mandate, if you will. So one, get people familiar with the program. And there's lots of ways to do this. You know, at Bountiful, we offer our customers uh, I mean, an employee communication program and template. Um, so you don't even have to think about what you need to say. We, we help you do that. But if you're not, you know, doing business with us, um, you can certainly do this yourselves. But just you have to continue to beat the drum um, because that these great talent sources are sitting there in your organizations ready and wanting to act, perhaps, but they just don't know how. And so there has to be some education from the get go. And that, that actually starts from onboarding that this the program adoption should start from onboarding new employees for sure. And then thinking through ways to even like share referral links. I, I mentioned before, it's really important to reduce as much friction as possible for your teams and people. Um, one of the friction points is that people just don't know what to say out into their networks. And so provide them with those assets. It's not enough just to provide them a referral link, but give them the shareable, quick shareable assets they can cast out into any sort of social network or direct messages on text or anything of that of that nature to stay on brand, but make it super easy for them, right, to take an action. If they have to work for it, right, they're going to be less inclined to do it. And especially if they're not going to get paid for a year. So you have to think about that, right? One other example, and it depends on the industry you're in, but if you have, you know, if you're in a facility or if you're in a location and you have a break room, um, simple things like posters with a QR code where somebody can take their phone and snap it, you know, to be able to grab, you know, the open positions that you have and be able to quickly share those out into networks. It's, it's these kinds of ideas that could be game changers for your organization. One of the things, too, that I have found really fascinating, and I, I, I kind of come from the employee engagement world from my last company, Glint. So this is kind of near and dear to my heart. But if you really think about, you know, improving participation rates in your company, it can actually be a proxy for employee engagement. The people that sign up that want to be a part of this, to be active promoters of your company, are likely to be fairly engaged with what you have going on as a culture and a company. So that's something to consider, you know, in terms of how you're looking at your program and ways to boost not only, right, network hiring, but also engagement. About this point. Sorry, I just have to double down on it, Scott. I, we talked about it in the prep call, but I think it's a great way to really see if people are going to review this, review you and refer you. It is the core of what EMPS is made out of. 
And this is letting people put, you know, their, their, like really be demonstrating that they believe that you have something great through the referral. Well, Anita, what, uh, what tips do you want to add for our listeners who are looking for the next great hire? Well, I think, you know, always showcasing your mission and values with your culture, really focusing on your employer job, like your employee value propositions. Did you have that marketing piece? You know how you're differentiated. You know what the exchange for value is between the team member and the organization that they're coming in. And we talked about it early on. Be clear about what you're looking for and what they need to do. I love the idea that Scott shared about skill and capability sets for job descriptions. So think about you know, what skills and capabilities they must bring and be additive into the job so they can be successful. What skills and capabilities you're missing inside your organization. You know, make sure that you're generating benefit from the alumni network. There's a lot of people who have been a part of your organization or around your organization. Are you including them into the referral program? Are you looking across customers or if it's appropriate, right? And all the different areas that you can generate flow for your community around these different positions that you have open and move quickly. If you have a slow process, great candidates won't stick around for it. I don't care what market you're in, there's always a, a, a demand for great talent. So, you know, move quickly, get on the phone, talk to people, just like you're closing a deal, close this team member and get them into your business really quickly. Well, thank you, Anita and Scott, for this awesome discussion. Uh, before we wrap up, I'd love to open up for a Q&A uh, to, to answer any questions that we didn't get to. So if there's anything that you're wanting to, to ask Anita and Scott, feel free to drop those in the chat. It looks like we have one from Felicity. I'm going to post this here. What is your best practice for hiring for a small company in a scalable manner? Scott, do you want to try this one? Yeah, I think um, I, I'm less concerned about size of company and more more apt to answer, as I have been saying throughout this conversation. There's power in the networks of your employees, and we have to figure out how to activate access to those in a scalable, um, fast, easy fashion. You know, the way this used to work was you would have to go to individuals in your company and see if they would open their networks to you and see who might be a good fit. There's technology now that can do that for you, right? So we can make it way more efficient and easier for you as an administrator to do this. But as I've been saying before, have, have a clear communication plan and program in place, measure your participation rates and find out what frictions exist, what friction exists in your process. Um, and one thing I haven't really highlighted yet, but show some gratitude to your to your promoters and your ambassadors within your company. Highlight them right as uh, people that are doing great work on behalf of the company. One, they're going to love the recognition, but two, others are going to want to maybe ask what they're doing that they could be doing uh, to be helpful. So that that could be a suggestion. Thank you. I'm going to post one that uh, on job descriptions. What are good resources to create effective job descriptions other than AI? <laughs> Very specific. <laughs> other than AI. Mm. That's uh, that's an interesting question. I'm not I'm not actually sure I'm qualified to answer that one. I mean, in our product and, and service, we're using a, a form of AI to essentially distill right? Um, some very verbose job descriptions into um, the most valuable parts of the job description that really highlight skills. 
but there are really there are really interesting technologies and uh, resources available to do this. I, I don't know that I have any on the top of my head that I can offer as part of this conversation um, right off the top of my head, but um, a, a quick a quick search and I think you could find some really interesting opportunities there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things I like to do on this is I like to go to companies that I admire and I look at their open jobs and I search for jobs that are like mine. And these are jobs maybe that I've hired a lot before or jobs I haven't hired for in a while. And I read through how the job descriptions have changed since I've hired the role last. I look at the skills and capabilities, years of experience, outcomes to be delivered. And I kind of measure that back against what I think is important in the job. Um, and especially how they're externally titling it. Like are the way they're externally titling it matching to the way that I'm thinking about it from a skills and capability set? What is the profile? You know, what are the adjacent? Because some people have, you know, very linear paths to getting to a job and some people have very not linear paths. Are you open for a non-linear path to get to this outcome? And what are the other types of roles that they could have played that give them those skills and capabilities that still make them qualified? And so I think all of those things are useful to look at. I would encourage you to spend time in that where AI is just kind of spitting out the goodness, the the quality of the question that you put in. And that's what I think is dangerous about it. So I'd like us to expand a little bit more and do a little bit more research. Um, And AI would maybe be a last resort to vet some ideas, but you're only as good as the prompt that you put in. Is that the reason why um, other than AI was part of that question? I'm curious if there's there's an aversion, right? If there's, there's something about AI that is causing fear and or um, lack of understanding or misunderstanding or maybe compliance, maybe a problem. Mm-hmm. Not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Carla, if you wanted to to answer that in the chat, uh, feel free to to respond there. Uh, while we wait for that, we have another one. And this might be for you, Scott. How do you help the employee when their referral is higher but doesn't work out? Yeah. Um, good question. So I think important to understand um, that a referral is what I would consider akin to a reference. And it's really a validation to a selection decision, if you really think about it. So if a a bad hire was made, if the hire doesn't work out, um, I think you probably need to review the selection and interview process. And I think, so that's part of it. The other part of it is you have to be crystal clear on what qualified means for your positions. So when we go back to job description, we talk about you know skill-based you know job descriptions and the skills required as a part of the qualification standard. This is part of the communication program that you have to have in your referral system to avoid these kinds of conversations to have with employees when 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 people don't work out. If those expectations are super clear up front, there should be no anxiety. There should be no misgivings. Those conversations should be way easier, right? It was very clearly spelled out what qualified looks like. Um, for whatever reason, this person didn't work out. Here are the examples why, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's just very, it's again, it's part of, part of communicating effectively, but really, really honing in on what qualified actually looks like for these positions. And then take a look at your selection interview process as well. And also keep that referrer in the loop. Like this is where they are in the process. We've got a lot of qualified candidates. You know, we're super grateful you pass this person along. These are the things we're, we're maybe concerned about that we're working on vetting. 
you know, thank you again for sending them to us. But there needs to be a nurture campaign around the refer, especially for the higher level job that you're referring for and hiring for. Can I click into that one a little bit, Anita? Because oh, yeah. Anita highlighted is, um, is a big problem in companies today. What's the big problem? When an employee refers a candidate into the company, typically they're not hearing anything relative no. to what's happening with the referred. That's a huge problem, obviously. So what can happen is employees can lose trust in your program really quickly. Again, it comes back to communication. What we're offering in, in our solution um, is uh, bi-directional communication with your a a ATS system that keeps the candidate status right on a dashboard in real time so that anybody that registers as a referrer will know what's happening with the referred candidate um, at any given time if you're updating your ATS. That's a bi-directional sync. So refer the referrals or your employees, your scouts is what we call them, uh, we'll have dashboards and they'll have the analytics and the reporting in front of them to know what's happening with the candidates they're referring. That breaks down a ton of anxiety. If the employee is coming back to you saying, hey, what's going on with Joe or Sally? You've pretty much lost them already. Either you've forgotten um, to communicate, which can happen when we're busy, or they're not getting information in a timely fashion. Um, that is definitely an opportunity to tighten things up. Thank you both for that. I was choosing the next one <laughs> of, are there, I'm gonna share this to the screen, are there any handy stats on cost of more traditional recruitment methods versus cost of implementing a referral program? Uh, I don't have any hard stats yet. We will have them. The anecdotes though, and Link LinkedIn has had some studies over the years, Referred candidates, you know, when you consider the connection to the employee, et cetera, referred can candidates can tend to stay. There's a long tail to this. So the, the, the referred candidates can tend to stay longer. Um, you get less turnover, obviously, as a result. If you're hiring faster, your cost to hire goes down, clearly. If you're avoiding using any sort of external recruiting resources, i.e., uh, you know, external recruiters or firms, obviously, um, those can be costly and expensive. Um, so, you know, there's a timing element in terms of time to hire. Um, there's a cost per applicant aspect to this as well that can be evaluated. Um, we are seeing that referred, you know, anecdotally, and I'll have more information on this as time goes by, but anecdotally referred candidates are tending to cost less and stay longer. I would agree with that. I've seen that time and time again. I think the only thing that, you know, what I think is really great about network recruiting and network hiring is that you can work through the diversified qualified slate that you don't get through a traditional referral program. So that would be kind of the upgrade between what we were doing before and where I think it's moving now, um, which is what I'm so excited that, that Scott's been working on. All right, and then would these practices work and be applied to a manufacturing production company where employees don't have the availability to resources online as more corporate companies do? What would be your advice there? I love this question, actually. We have, um, we have some customers that are you know, in manufacturing that um, half of their employee population are in professional networks and the other half um, are you know, um, production, their production workforce. And, um, and in that production workforce, they do still have 
you know, mobile devices. Um, one anecdote, the CEO of one of the companies we work with was telling me, you know, I walk into the break room and I see everybody heads down on their phones. We actually have a solution for those individuals that maybe aren't checking email or not, you know, checking the intranet or things like that. Um, but if they're on a mobile device, you know, we can nudge them through text actually and, and help them understand that there's an opportunity to cast and share job opportunities with bounties attached to them um, through text messaging um, as an example. The other thing that I mentioned earlier is, you know, in those situations, you know, having posters or uh, any sor sort of other um, communication where a QR code can exist um, so that they can quickly, you know, flash a camera, grab, um, grab the link, share it, you know, with those shareable assets. Um, that's all completely doable and available for, for those kinds of, uh, those kinds of that, that kind of workforce. I hope I that helps. It's even better because that workforce oftentimes isn't as highly compensated as we have in other areas. And so offering a bounty or a referral bonus for great people that come in and stay, I think can be really beneficial. You know, I worked for a manufacturing company in a small town. Everybody knows everybody. And it's a great proxy for engagement where you want to, like we talked about earlier, have people that you know come and be a part of it. And you're actually lifting the socioeconomic status of the town by what you're doing there through providing programs like this that help support families that can come in and work in these smaller organizations and be treated well and have um, have opportunities for work that often small towns aren't having right now. Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to to loop back to, to Carla's original question about what are good resources to create effective job descriptions other than AI. And Scott, you had asked the question of, you know, what is, why not use AI? Um, so Carla mm -hmm. did respond and say compliance is the main issue. Um, it's the main Got concern it. that the company has. Got it. Very interesting. I, I figured that might be the case. There's some there's some interesting solutions now coming online, as you can imagine, um, to deal with that, right? And if you want, we can talk offline if you'd like um, a suggestion there too. But I figured that was the case. Um, it's also new, and and it, depending on the size of your organization, uh, your compliance risk folks are going to definitely want to get involved in some of this conversation. That's around <laughs> AI. Quite a lot. We sign the waiver, Scott, for everything we say on this podcast. We're not held responsible <laughs> for our local. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, again, thank you both so much uh, for, for this really great discussion. Really enjoyed the content that was shared, the insights. And would love to, to pass it on to uh, Anita uh, if you want to take us through our three takeaways for this podcast episode. Yes. Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you, Scott. You know, we just want to highlight the things that we really uh, talked about. So audit your referral program so you can remove any friction points or think about creating a referral program. Since many of you haven't done this, we think it can be a great way to help you get qualified candidates into your organizations. Embed employee engagement into the referral programs from day one and write better job descriptions so team members know exactly what you're looking for and they can refer great people into it, into your organization and into those jobs. 
So thank you so much for joining us. Again, a big thank you to Scott and Vanessa for sharing all your wonderful wisdom with our audience today. And we're going to be back at the same time on November 28th. And we're going to be talking about how to create a more inclusive and welcoming workplace. We invite you to visit us at hrunplugged.com where you can subscribe to our series and you can view the podcast in any on-demand format. Please subscribe, leave us a review, let us know what you want to hear next, and we'll look forward to seeing you again shortly. Thank you again, Scott. Thank you, Vanessa. Great to be with you both as always. Have a super afternoon. Thanks to everybody for all the great work that you're doing out there, creating amazing places to work. Keep going for it. And we'll see you in HR Heroes for anything that you need outside of this. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for HR Unplugged. This series is brought to you by Bambi HR. Visit us at bambooHR.com slash HR dash unplugged for video versions of the podcast, additional resources, and to learn more about how Bambi HR sets people free to do great work. 